We're finishing off a series that we started just right after Christmas called Unified. And Unified has been about, it's a series where we've been looking at the way that God intends the church to be, the way that he wants and desires the church to meet together, gather together, each part doing its work, each one contributing in the way that we need to contribute and so that the church grows spiritually and numerically. And I know that there are some that might argue that churches don't have to uh, grow numerically in order to be healthy and I wouldn't argue with that. I wouldn't argue with that. But I would say that There's only really one way that I could see that a church could be fulfilling its mission and growing healthy and stay small. And that would be is if it is sending out as many people as it's bringing in. That would be the only way because after all the purpose of the church is to share the message of Christ That's the the God-given mandate, to go into our world and tell them about Jesus Christ, to make disciples, to baptise people, to share the love of God with, with our nation so that there will be people being discipled who will come into the kingdom of heaven. Our, our role is to extend the kingdom in that way. So for a church to remain small as it fulfills its mission, the only real way that we could be effectively doing that would be by going out, people coming in and we're saying, you know, you need to go. You need to get out into the mission field. You need to do the stuff that God has called you to do. It would need to be sending out as many people into the mission field as it's bringing in. And that sort of growth can only happen, though, as the church fulfills its mission and is unified in its mission of seeing people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. It's unified in its vision, mission, and purpose that we've been given by God himself. So for that to be effective for us, we need to recognise that each part has to do and must do the things that we've been assigned to do. Each one of us, we've been talking over it for the last few weeks about gifts, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. But it sounds easy, really. If you just have to go out, share the love of Jesus, they will come in and the church will grow. We're very conscious, though, that we're in a spiritual battle and our enemy wants to stifle the church's effectiveness. So it's not that we can go out and do that without some opposition and it's not always easy. And so we find ourselves in this battle. Sometimes it's a mind battle for ourselves as we we know we should, but we just don't feel like we can or we know we should, but we're just fearful of what might take place. Um, Or we do go out, we do that, and we get so rejected, and over a long period of time, it feels like we're just wasting our time, so why even bother in the first place? Our enemy would like nothing more than for a church to be divided and disunified and unable to fulfill the mission that it has been given. 
Satan does not want the mission of the church to be that it would go out and make disciples. It wants to st- he wants to stifle that. And so a church that's ineffective in the mission is really of no concern to Satan at all because he, he doesn't need to do anything. If the church is ineffective in what we've been called to do, we can be pretty confident that we're not going to get too much opposition to what we're not doing. And that's what we've been talking about over the past few weeks, four weeks. In fact, it's, it's how every member of the church, every, every member that has accepted the Lord Jesus Christ into our life, those who would, would say that I am a Christ follower, I am the one who follows Christ, it would be needing that every member of the church that Jesus Christ is building to be actively engaged in the battle that we're all facing to ensure that the work of the church, that the work that the church is supposed to be doing is getting done. And so week one, we actually looked at what the church was and, and the def- definition of what the world sees church and God's view of church and know that Jesus is building his church and it may not be the way that the world is thinking of church. It's not about the four walls of a building. It's, it's us. He's building people. He's growing people. He's building the church, the ecclesia, into a movement that will bring people into the kingdom, that is effectively doing the mission that he calls us to do. So we need to recognize that. And we talked about the following week of the spiritual gifts. We gave a bit of an overview of what spiritual gifts are and spiritual gifts are not. And and Paul uses that in 1 Corinthians 12. He uses this, this analogy of the body, and, and it's a good analogy for the things that we're talking about in areas of giftedness. He talks about that just as the body has all of these different parts to it, some you can see on the outside, but there's a lot of stuff happening on the inside. Otherwise, the outside looks pretty ugly. And that's the problem. If the inside of our body doesn't work, we'll end up in a, in a casket at the front of a church somewhere And our body's starting to shrivel up and ineffective anymore. And that goes for the church. That's where I'm talking. If we're not doing the mission, we're spiritually dead. And it's, it's really difficult from that point on to do what we've been called to do. But good news is that Jesus has given us new life in Christ. We don't have to, if we find ourselves in that, there is a resurrection where the old life can be dealt with. There is a new life that Christ gives us, gives us through him and we can be resurrected, so to speak, as the church and come into the fullness of what God wants to do with the church itself. And so we need to recognize that that as we've looked at these gifts, that everyone's doing the part, as each part fulfills the job that that we've been given. When you have been given as a new Christian, as someone who loves the Lord Jesus Christ, the body functions. It grows, it matures, it starts to be healthy and effective in doing what we're being called to do. We then looked at some, the leadership gifts in Ephesians 4 and we, we talked about how God has gifted the church people who are to oversee other ministries so that the, the body is edified, the, the, ch- the church itself is 
elevated or, or it's not, that's not the right word, but it, it's built up. It's, it's presented as the bride of Christ. And we, we realise as we read through the scriptures that Jesus actually talks about us being his bride. The church is the bride of Christ. And so we, we need to recognise that in order to be his bride, we need to be aligning our thinking with his thinking. And so last week we talked about the, the, uh, and of some of the gifts that are a little bit more practical and some that we don't always think of as practical. But last week we talked about that. And we, but the thing is, we, there are some areas of ministry or some areas of giftedness that we've not dealt with and we won't deal with specifically in this series. But, and sometimes they're a little difficult to recognize. There's things like discernment. There is a gift of discernment. There is gift of wisdom and there's gifts of knowledge and healing. There are gifts of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. They're all gifts given to the body of Christ and they're examples as of spiritual gifts that God has given. And that's the key, that all gifts are given to us by God himself so that the body might be edified. All of them given by God as he sees fit, not as what we necessarily want, although we are told that we should pray and ask for those things that are necessary because he wants us to want what he wants. He wants us to be part of his thinking. But back in the Old Testament, we read of another situation, and I've got to say straight up front, some of you have already thinking Old Testament was prior to Jesus coming and prior to the Holy Spirit coming, I know. And, but I want you to read through with me a scripture passage from Exodus. So this is way back in the early parts of scripture where it says in Exodus 36, and you can follow along on screen or if you're following in your word, Exodus 36, beginning at verse 1. And it says, the Lord has gifted Bezalel and Ahulihab and other skilled craftsmen with wisdom and ability to perform many, many tasks involved in building the sanctuary. Let them construct and furnish the tabernacle just as the Lord has commanded. So Moses summoned Bezalel and Ahulihab and all the others who were specifically or specially gifted by the Lord and were eager to get to work. Moses gave them the materials donated by the people of Israel as sacred offerings for the completion of the sanctuary. But the people continued to bring additional gifts every morning, each morning. And finally, the craftsmen who were working on the sanctuary left their work. They went to Moses and they reported, Moses, Moses, Moses. No, they didn't. They may have. But the people have given much more than enough to complete the job that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command and sent this message throughout the camp. He said, men and women, don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary. We have enough. That's amazing, isn't it, in itself? We have enough. So the people stopped bringing their sacred offerings. Their contributions were more than enough to complete the whole project. That's an amazing piece of scripture. I love that piece of scripture. Julia and Bezalel are two of my uh, 
people that I respect so much when we look at the things that they achieved in such a small part, part of, portion of time. But in that one passage, we see the gift of wisdom. We see the gift of leadership. We see a gift of giving. We see a gift of craftsmanship. They're all on display in that one passage. The people gave more than was enough to complete the building of the tabernacle and furnish it. And the people still, it says, the people still continued to bring gifts. And the thing is that when a church building requires repair or, or updating, typically that's what still happens. The congregation gathers around everything that's taking place. We need to make sure that the, the house of worship that we, where we worship God is taken care of, where it's needed, repairs are done, so that it's actually presentable. And it's not just the fact that it's a building, it's that what the building is necessarily used for. And I think it's important that we realise that when the congregation rallied in um, Bezalel's time, and Moses' time, that the place of worship was just that. It was a, a place of worship to the, our Heavenly Father. And so we find that even that, Moses had to stop the giving because the giving was so generous and so persistent and ongoing that the builders were saying, we've got too much stuff. I kind of, in my head, I'm thinking, they're building and they're piling up stuff behind them and they're going, I can't move, I can't build anymore because there's too much stuff here. And I mean, every pastor in every church is constantly complaining about the fact that our churches are giving far too much. We have to constantly ask you to stop bringing finances and, and help. No, we don't. We laugh, but it's actually quite significant. But Bezalel and Uhuliab were tasked of carrying out the building of the tabernacle. And in that role, I'm sure there was a great deal of measuring. There was a great deal of aligning and architecture. There would have been plans to be drawn up, although God had given them a, a, a plan verbally, but they would have had to draw things out. They would have had to have made sure that they had a materials list. They would have had to make sure that everything was ready so that they could get done. That was the job of Bezalel and Ahuliab to put together everything and other skilled craftsmen. They weren't the only two. There were other skilled craftsmen in that passage that we read about. And that's the all that to say that this passage shows us very clearly that the gifts outlined in Corinthians, in Ephesians, in Romans and, and some scattered other parts through the, the New Testament, all of those gifts were given or were showing up or many of them were. It shows us also very clearly that there were some spiritual gifts or there were some gifts given in that time that were not mentioned in those places. And I'm not here today to, to verify or, or to, to lay one side or the other on, you know, what those Corinthians and Ephesians and Romans passages don't give us all the more. There's much more than that. There may well be, but that's not the point. 
What is important is that in every case, it was God given. It was God who gave the ability. And, and it doesn't matter. I know I've read this passage from the New Living Translation this morning, and it's the only translation that I can find, at least. It's the only translation that, tra that translates this passage with the word God has gifted Ahuliab and Bezalel and Ahuliab. It's the only one. And that's not to say that it's not right, because every other translation that I could find and looked up, they, they all, what they all do is highlight that the skill and the necessary abilities and the desire to carry out the workmanship and all of those things, the building of the tabernacle, were, came from God. They were given to people by God. And so the important part of that is so what all of us or all the versions and translations point to is that there's nothing that we can really do or there's nothing that happens without God giving us those abilities in the first place. And I want us to understand that this morning. You are very gifted, maybe, and we're not just talking about spiritual gifts this morning. And that will be clear as we go through. The found, it, it is, though, what happened in the Old Testament was prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit. It was prior to God pouring his Spirit over all people. What is clear is that the foundation that was laid for the giving of the spiritual gifts happened here in Exodus chapter 36. It was given by God for a particular person, a particular purpose, so that the body of Christ might be elevated. So what I want to look at today is that, it, though it's, it's, it's not possible to talk about spiritual gifts and not acknowledge that it's the Spirit who gives those spiritual gifts, he also gives us the power to fulfill ministry functions that are not listed in Paul's letters. He gives us the ability beyond what we might put into a box and say, these are the 23, 26, 18, sometimes 12. It depends on how you list them and, and what you're looking for as to how many. It's not the number, it's not the list, because we can box in God and saying, you know what? These are the only gifts that we could have and they're the only ones we're looking for. And I'm not here to argue that there are more or less spiritual gifts that are mentioned, but rather to look at the bigger picture, and that's what today's all about. I want us to take a, a step back and look at the bigger picture and recognize that every talent, every skill, every passion that you have has been gifted by God. Everything that you have is a gift from God. And it's easy to put God in a box. It's easy to think that because we don't have a particular spiritual gift that, that we're not needed or that, that we're not useful around the church. It's easy to think that, oh, you know what? I just really don't experience or feel that I've got any relevant spiritual gift, so I, I can't do anything. The fact remains that all believers do have spiritual gifts. That's true. And they're all needed. But the fact also is that God's not limited by spiritual gifts. He's not limited by anything. He's not limited by 
us thinking that he has only got a limited number of spiritual gifts. It's the Holy Spirit who gives the church everything that it needs in order to do what it's called to do well. And so if you're filling out notes, whether it's on a piece of paper or you're following through the um, app and, and doing it online or at home, everything is given by God. You probably have already got that filled in already. Everything is given by God. And just referring back to Exodus 36, we read it before, verse 1, it says, The Lord has gifted Bezalel and Ahuliab and other skilled craftsmen with wisdom and the ability to perform any task involved in building the sanctuary. And we talk about it often, but, but I'm not really sure that, that we believe what we say. We, we're not sure that we believe it applies to us, but everything that we have comes from the Lord. Everything that you have and I have comes from law. And often the ability to earn a living is something we think, oh, well, that's, that's my job. I've studied for that and I've worked towards that or I've, I've worked in that area. But the ability to earn a living comes not because of any spiritual gift necessarily, but it comes because of sometimes natural abilities or learned abilities. Some have the ability to work with their hands. And so they become builders and they become plumbers, electricians and, and doing the practical stuff like that. Some have the ability to be a little bit using their minds and become legal, legal kind of people and, and solicitors and lawyers and judges and, and people have that ability to think like that. Some have the ability to understand technology and they become programmers and computer technicians and, and people that present all this stuff to us and get us into trouble. Some have the ability to design things and, and become artists and graphic designers and, and fashion designers and, and, and work in our society around us. And these gifts, the one thing, one of the struggles we have is that we don't always see the use of those things as given to us by God. We don't see that there's any practical use for those things that are outside what we would call spiritual gifts for any use within the context of the body of Christ. We typically see those things as things we do during the week so that we can earn enough money or that we can fill in time to live and because we don't understand or recognise the spiritual gifts that we also have, we, we keep to ourselves in the background when it comes to church. You know what, I haven't really got any spiritual gifts. Um, the things that I do, who wants to be a... I don't know, you name it. It's, there's no relevance for it in the church. So I, I haven't got anything to offer. We keep to ourselves. And we don't like to put our hands up to help because we, we tend to keep our secular world and our Christian world, our, our church world, separate. That's what I do in the week. This is what I do in the weekend. And while this is a kind of wrong kind of thinking, the fact is the church is kind of to blame for this kind of thinking. 
We've, me we've messed up in some things, not everything, but we haven't done well some of the things we've been called to do because we focus on those roles that we would call full-time ministry and we say, oh, you should get into full-time ministry and we say you should get into studying more and, and you should become a full-time pastor or full-time ministry worker. And we encourage people to start studying for the ministry while ignoring the fact that there are other ways that God has used you and will use you and wants to use you and has designed you to be used for. It's not to say we should not equip ourselves by studying the Word of God because that is important anyway. It's not to say that we shouldn't be part of small groups and, and studying and understand or, or doing extra study by taking up some subjects and gaining a little bit more understanding, but it, not everyone's going to be moving into full-time ministry, and there's a good reason for that. He's called us all, though, to utilise our gifts and abilities and our talents and our passion and the things that we've, our history of stuff that we've learned, all of those things to come together to be the people that he wants us to be. The body of Christ needs to be able to function well. And we as a church need to learn how to look outwardly, not just see ourselves for ourselves sake, but we need to see how our gifts and our passions and our, our talents are all relevant when it comes to sharing the gospel. God needs you outside of the church just as much as he needs people inside of the church. He needs lawyers. He needs police. He needs politicians, believe that. He needs politicians. He needs plumbers. He needs technicians. He needs cooks. He needs gardeners. He needs shop assistants. He needs business owners. He needs every part of society society to be filled with people or to be integrated with people who love the Lord Jesus Christ. He needs them. Because how will those in, who are teachers hear the word of God if there are no Christian teachers? How will people who are in our emergency departments hear the word of God if there's no one in our emergency services? How will anyone hear it if there's no Christian doctors or there's no Christian nurses, there's no paramedics? How will those in childcare hear about the word of God if there's no Christian childcare workers? He needs people in society in order to fulfill the mission of going into the world and making disciples. He needs us in those areas. So it's not about necessarily using just your spiritual gifts and say, well, my spiritual gift isn't anything relevant for that. It's about doing what God wants us to do, being called according to his purposes. But here's the thing. Even if God has those people, sorry, excuse me, in those places, people still won't have or hear of God's love if we're not talking about God's love, if we're not living God's love. 
if we're not talking the talk and walking the walk of Christian faithfulness. And I know that these things are getting more and more difficult in our society to, to make it known that I'm a Christ follower because the, the persecution, while it's subtle at the beginning, it's getting more and more difficult. It's getting harder. But God has gifted each one of us to, with not just spiritual gifts, but natural abilities and the ability to learn and passions and family backgrounds and all of those things to equip you for the work that he has specifically for you. And as we continue reading in, verse, in Exodus 36, we see another interesting thing. It says, Moses gave them the materials donated by the people of Israel as sacred offerings for the completion of the sanctuary. Number two, they were given as an offering. These things came as, they're not for, well, in one sense it was, but they're not for a Bezalel and a Huliab. They're not for this. We're giving these as an offering to God to be used for what he needs done. Everything that was given was given as an offering. Each one gave what they gave as an offering. They didn't expect anything in return. They willingly gave so that the task of building the tabernacle could be completed. And I don't know if you get this or, and it, you know, it took me a little while to think about this and I'm like, wow. When you look at the list of things that they brought just for the tabernacle, there was a whole other list for the temple later, by the way, but when you look at the list of the things that were brought for the building of the tabernacle, let me tell you, gold was brought for the building of the tabernacle. 995 kilos of gold was brought. That equates to $96 million of today's finances. That's just a, a little nugget. There was 3,455 kilos of silver. Almost $4 million in today's market. In silver. There was 2,500 approximately kilos of bronze. There were, on top of that, heaps of precious um, gemstones. There was a bunch of material and yarn and everything else that was needed to build the temple that, that Bezalel was conducted to do or needing to do. Everything that was brought to build the tabernacle was brought as an offering. A couple of questions come out of this, like where did they get that stuff from? They, these guys are in the, in the wilderness. Where did they get like almost a ton of gold? The answer to that really is that though what they were carrying in the desert came from the Egyptians. It came from the Egyptians. Remember how God caused the Egyptians to look favorably upon them as they left. And, and it tells you, as you read through those early parts, it says they brought all their gold and stuff and says, you just take this, take this, go, get out of here, take this. And they heaped them up with stuff. And what's interesting is they gave 995 kilos of gold, but they still had more. This wasn't all there was. God caused the Egyptians to look favorably upon the Israelites and, and told them, 
to just ask for it. And the Israelites plundered the Egyptians. It tells us that in scriptures. They were plundered from their wealth. It came as, I guess, a payment for the slavery for the past 400 years, but it, it came to them. So this wealth, while it belonged to them, it, was, it came at a time and a purpose that God was going to use for something else. And there's another question that comes out of it, and I've been asked this question, well, why did it need to be so extravagant? That just seems like a waste of money. All of this gold and silver and gemstones and stuff, and when you come to the tabernacle, it's even more opulent. It's, everything's covered in gold, and, and walls are covered in gold, and it's, it's, it's quite extravagant. Why so extravagant? I think that's the wrong question, by the way. The better question would be to ask, how much is too much to give or offer to God? How much is too much to offer to God? And we look at the amount of gold and the silver and the gemstones and those quantities are, are even larger when it came to build the temple a little bit later on under the leadership of Solomon and, and think, why not give that money to the poor? Why not give and feed hungry people? Why not use it for social reform and, and welfare? Why not save the planet? But Jesus dealt with that thinking when a prostitute, Mary Magdalene, came to him and, and took a, a bowl or a flask of expensive perfume. Ex, expensive more than just a few dollars. Some would indicate about a year's wages worth of expensive perfume and poured it over the feet of Jesus. Just before his crucifixion. And she washed his feet in it, drying his feet with her hair. And the question was asked, why the waste? Surely this could have been given to the poor. Money could have been, this oil could have been sold and, and given out to the poor. But watch what Jesus says. Why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You'll always have the poor. But you'll not always have me. It was an offering to the one who is worthy of the offering. And so the question for us when we, we give and we build and we we put those things in place, is, is not, you know, why does it need to be so extravagant? It, the right question is, isn't God worth it? Isn't he worthy of glory and honour? Because in Jesus' words, nothing was too much for, for Jesus. There's nothing was too much to offer. If God can provide the Israelites with all that they need, and realistically, all of that finances came from God. They didn't do anything to, to earn it, if, except the slavery, I guess. But they, they got it, given to them. And freely they received and freely they gave back. So extravagantly and generously that they had to be told to stop. The thing is that what God was setting up the people, he didn't want anyone to be needy. He didn't want them to be longing for, for anything, although they did that. They longed for the food and all of those sorts of things as they went through. But honestly, they had much more than they needed in everything. 
He was, if you read through Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 15, talks about that his desire was that they would have no needs. A whole community of people. And the reason in Jesus' day that there was needs was because people were not faithful. People had not kept to the covenant that God had put in place. They'd not been faithful with what they'd been entrusted with. And I our offering, when I think about that, how, how faithful have I been with what God has given me? Freely I have received because everything, every thought, that every, everything that I think about to, to make money or, or study or to gain some sort of finances, the ability to do that has come from God himself. So it, I can't do it on my own and neither can you. As much as you think that you're the smart person or others are able to be the smart person or the ability to do stuff, everything that we have comes from the Lord Jesus Christ and they're given as an offering. And it's not what was, it wasn't given from what was left over. They just kept coming. It wasn't given as, oh, I don't need this part now, you can have this part. It was ongoing. It came as the first, the best part, and God never left the Israelites without. He provided food and water every day for them for the 40 years or so that they were wandering in the wilderness. And he will never leave you and I alone in the same manner. There is nothing that he would rather more than for us to just trust him with that. To just say, you know what? I don't understand. If I, if I do this thing, all of this stuff could happen. It could. But in the middle of that, what could happen is God might be able to show his power and his authority and his ability to bring you up, to raise us up out of the miry clay, to stand our feet on solid rock. But we don't because, oh, I, I might need that for such and such a time or I might use that or I'll just save that up in case stuff happens. We can't outgive God. It's impossible to outgive him. So we shouldn't be really concerned about our needs in that manner because he's promised that he'll take care of our needs. So if we say we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we're saying we believe and trust him that he will do what he says. And when he says, I will give you everything that you need, then we why are we worrying? That's what Jesus says, Matthew 6. Why worry about tomorrow? See the birds, how God clothed them, the lilies of the field, how they, they are dressed and, and shine. They're here today, gone tomorrow. How much more will God, your Father, take care of your needs, he says? How much more are you loved by your heavenly Father? And he does that with us. And it often comes through the body of Christ as the body of Christ exercises the spiritual gifts to do what needs to be done to edify the body of Christ. Using gifts and abilities and passions in a way that God gets the glory. And then as we keep reading, we find an incredible situation. We've, we've alluded to it a couple of times in there was extreme generosity in this process. And you'll read that in, in, in chapter 36, 3 through to 7, or the second part of 3 through to 7. They continued to bring additional gifts 
each morning. I can't even pretend to imagine that. You bring your gifts today. Here it is. I lay it down for them to do that. And then you go away and the next morning you think, oh, I'm going to take some more gifts. And the next morning I've got to do the same thing. And they do it over and over again. Not once was it seems that there was a thought, oh, I gave yesterday so I don't have to do it today. It, it's this mentality that I've got it and I don't need to do anything with it except give it to God and let him use what needs to be given. And I think that generosity is something that eludes us sometimes. Me, I, I fall into this. They didn't do it under compulsion, but they gave willingly and they gave generously and there was extreme generosity shown in this process. And that was before the law and what the Israelites showed at that point was that there needs to be amongst Christ people or God-following people that a sense or a heart for generous generosity. What was significant is that they seemed keen to give and they weren't even told to keep on giving every single day, but they did. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about spiritual gifts, but what's been happening here has very little to do with spiritual gifts, I mean, in the scriptures. The recognition that everything they had comes from God. So we might live in a different culture. We might live in a different time. But the fact remains true, it's God who provides. It's God who provides for us. We, we may do the work to earn a living, but it's God who has given us the passion and the abilities. He's given us the ideas. It, it might be the one who's studied, but it's God who's given you the ability to study and learn. The truth is that God can take any of those things away at an instant. And some have experienced that. You get sick, a disease, you get have an accident. All of those things can just disappear in an instant. We can lose our ability to work. Health problems, natural events, things that are typically out of our control just happen. Everything we have is because God has allowed us to have it. And it's not because it's just spiritual gifts, it's all of our abilities. And so... I want to encourage you, on the back of your sermon notes this morning, there's a bunch of questions, but there's a couple of scan codes. And most of you are aware of how to use a QR code now. Thank you, COVID. And I think that in this process, what I would like you to do and encourage you to do, I sent out an email this week, and if, you, if we don't have your email address, you may not have got that, and there are some that we don't have email addresses for, but... I would love you, there's two things. There's the first one, I think on the top, talks about SHAPE. And SHAPE is, is a six-week pro program that explores and identifies things like spiritual gifts and, and your heart passion and your natural abilities and, and personality and the experiences that God has given you throughout your life to fit Find your fit within the body of Christ. And I want to, if you were interested, this is only expressions of interest. This is not signing up for anything. It's just an expression of interest. If you are interested in being considered as a part of that, you could scan that and just put your name and phone number in. I think it is all that's required, an email address maybe. There's three things. There's nothing more than that. 
The other one is the small groups. I alluded to it earlier, but we're looking at, at wanting... To, we, this week, I'm hoping to get some small groups started again, and some of you have been asking me about that, but the, the, the reality is that there's so many people doing different stuff that I'm not sure where everyone is. Even if you're in a group right now and you've started your group, if you're in a group, I want you to put your name into that. I want you to still sign up for that. It's not that you're signing up for being in a small group. It's an expression of interest of wanting to be part of a small group. And if you are already in one, I already know that. I already will know that. But I want you to put it in there because I believe that the church shouldn't just be a, a church with small groups. It should be a group a, a body of small groups. It, the, this coming together on a Sunday morning is where all the groups gather to worship our Heavenly Father. And I'd love you to be part of that, but I want to encourage you, if you would like to be part of a small group, we're going to be looking at that this week very specifically. We're not starting all of them, but I want to start some. And so if you're online, you can do the same sort of thing. There's a link that's in your, um, on, online there for you at the moment. You can click on that. But I want us to, to do this. If that's interesting, if you're interested in doing that, just scan it, fill it out. We'll work on it this week. And let's pray for one another. Let's love one another. And I know that God is going to bless us. May God bless you this week as you serve him, as you worship him. And I would value your prayers. For myself, as next week, I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be travelling up to uh, Townsville. I've got a couple of services to take in, in Townsville next Sunday morning. But I'd value your prayers and, and, and in travel and all of those sorts of things. But let's pray for one another. Let's equip one another to do the work that we've been called to do. And if you're not sure of what steps to take, come and talk to me later. But Father, I want to thank you for the ability that you've given us. Father, that unity can really only be achieved as each one puts, one of us puts into practice things, the spiritual gifts and the abilities and the passions and, and experiences that you have put us through. And we work for the common good of of sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, of, of taking a message into our community, of being part of the, the solution to seeing your kingdom come and your will being done. So, Father, help us to speak up, to be bold and courageous enough to go into our world and, and make disciples, to share the love of Jesus, to baptise people, to see baptism as not just something that's, that's a part of the process. Father, it is much more than that. It's a declaration that, that we are Christ followers to the rest of the world. Father, help us to be faithful in that. To surrender our lives, not just our finances, but Father, our, our abilities and, and all of those extra resources that you've given us, that they belong to you. And so Father, I pray now for your word to resonate within our heart, to guide us and direct us in all areas. Because, Father, your will needs to be done, and we are the ones called to do that. So bless this upon us, Father. Guide us in our thinking. Help us to be faithful. May your name be honoured and glorified today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.